Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. I, this is weird, but I've just gotten used to only talking to a camera. But for <laughs> for some reason, like right now, I was like, this is so bizarre. <laughs> We're just in this empty room. But filled. It feels like it's filled yeah. with all of you. This we is so rad. We wish you were all here. I know. One day we are going to all get together. Yeah. This year. Yes. In the summer. In the summer. Is oh, what we're hoping I hope for. so. That would be really rad. Yeah. Okay. If it's Easter time right now, and if you want the whole explanation of what we're doing for Easter, we just have a, two big ideas. They're not really big. They're simple, but like fun. Two it ideas was so for fun Easter. They were so big though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's call them big. There's two ideas for Easter. One of them is for Easter day. And then one of them is to celebrate Easter, like the whole week leading up to us. We have two ideas and we've gathered a bunch of resources for you. This is for the day of. Yeah, let's show them both things. Uh, because you know we love Easter and we want to like count it down like we do for Christmas because sometimes you just wake up and all of a sudden it's Easter and you didn't even know. So the first one is. Oh yeah, so this is a countdown thing. The week of Easter, Sunday to Sunday, we've divided up the living Christ with the names of Christ. If you want to kind of participate with us doing this and this is. What they look like. It's a free download. It's in the newsletter and on the app. And you can do it. We're just going to study names of Christ every night. The whole living Christ. Kind of like like what we did at Christmas. Um, But this time, instead of in 25 days, just in the week starting Palm Sunday all the way till Easter. And just immersing ourselves in the living Christ and in those names and who he is. Uh, We're going to be using the Emmanuel wreath. So all of that described And we forgot to say this last week. If you need new candles for the Emmanuel wreath. Target is where we found some yeah, replacements. Walmart, Walmart some. Amazon also has yeah. some too. So be thinking about that if you want to use that one. And they're in stock. We just found out. Yeah. All they're the wreaths finally are If you want to do that with us. But you okay. could just download this if you wanted and just do kind that. of do it around the kitchen table each night. We tried Easter. to come up with something you could just do with what you have at home. So there's one. Then we're so excited about this one. Let me see if you can see it. So all these things we just found at my house. We really want to talk about the prophecies in the Old Testament that are talking about Easter that is coming. And so you can easily just put together this box. We tell you in the last video everything you need for the box. It's also in the newsletter. And this is something we're going to be doing on Easter morning at yeah. our houses uh, and in the Easter video. It's the Genesis 42 to 50 video if you want more details on that. But maybe that was enough. If you need more, go back to the newsletter or Genesis 42 to 50, the beginning. So... Okay, you guys, this next piece is so awesome um, because... So we're in Egypt. Remember, we came after Joseph and his family came. Remember, Joseph moved first, then his family came, then the whole family moved into Egypt. So that's why we have this big pyramid on here to represent now the house of Israel is in Egypt. And this is our um, pick. It's a picture that's also on a tip-in that we'll show you a little bit later that Eva drew um, of just the beginning part of the story. Um, we picked this picture on purpose and had Eva do it because of the women. That That's where we're going to start. Yeah. These women 
Uh, we love to highlight wherever we can the women in the Old Testament, so this is going to be one of those stories. Yeah, I try to highlight the men in the Old Testament, but you <laughs> can do this. Just kidding. That is why we teach together. Um, so that's a story that we're going to start with. And it's interesting when you're reading the Bible because the book of Genesis ends with that kind of the family blessings. And there they are. And Genesis almost kind of ends with a happily ever after. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. You could almost like write that at the end of Genesis. Then you turn the page mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they are slaves. Yes. And several hundred years have passed. Also, who you know? loves that this is what our pages look like right now for this lesson? Because we have so <laughs> many things we want to tell you about right now. It's going to be so fun. So you just open up the story and, and you find out, you'll find out later, um, kind of, backtrack information that there's a a new group that's taken over Egypt that doesn't know the house of Joseph and doesn't know the house of Israel. And they don't know what Joseph did. They just don't have any idea. And years have passed and they see this group, this foreign group, these Hebrew people who are living in Egypt and they are a substantial size people. Yeah, they're thriving. I love what it says in Exodus 1, right at the very get-go. They, they start worrying that they're going to be, I think it says, more and mightier than we are. And I just love, that's in Exodus 1, verse 9. Um, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. And he starts to get really nervous about that. So his first idea, this new leader, Pharaoh, Pharaoh the, this Pharaoh that's there, um, decides, I'm going to put him to work. And if they're uh, so busy working and so tired, then they, then they can't expand. They can't have more kids. They can't get bigger. Um, that idea doesn't work. They keep getting bigger and multiplying more and more and more. When they moved into Egypt, they are like 70 people big. Um, when they leave Egypt, most Bible scholars think they're around several million people I can't wait big. to see how big you were going to say it was going to be. Because also some Bible scholars think they were like 3,000. So you just have oh, no huge idea. range, right? <laughs> but start at 70. They get so big after that, that. that. For some reason, they become threatening. Whatever that number is feels really threatening. So the next idea, which jumps us really into the part we want to like lean into is the Pharaoh has this, this idea that I will kill all the male babies that are born. That way they can't raise up uh, an army. Too bad they didn't know girls could fight lawn, <laughs> you know? Um, but that was his, um, that was the second idea is I'm going to have all these babies. So he tells all of the Hebrew midwives, if a baby is born and it is a boy, I want you to kill it uh, right away. And that's kind of where we jump in. We've got these four women who kind of are the beginning of the deliverance story. And what each of them do mirrors the like bigger deliverance story that you're going to see happening with the Red Sea and the wilderness and, and everything that's coming. You love that a lot of Bible scholars say that Exodus chapter 1 is in small, just a small example of the entire rest of the book of Exodus, that we will see four really important principles here in Exodus 1 that will then play out in Moses' story. So it's really fun to watch what we see here. It's going to start with these midwives. Um, If you just turn, well, first of all, let's talk about this. Because so the Hebrew midwives now are going to be in charge of making sure that no baby boy lives, which... Can you imagine living in a time like that Mm. and how dark that would be? Like, think about, you can't really hide the delivery of a baby. It's noisy. Also, you can't really hide the pregnancy. Right, right. You know, like there's there's no way to hide that you're about to have a baby. No one knows if it's going to be a boy or a girl. 
Now everybody knows when that baby is born, there's a chance you won't get to keep it. I just, I can't even imagine the anxiety of that and just the darkness. And who loves that these two women's names, Shifra and Pua, we find them in verse 15 of Exodus 1. Shifra means brilliant and Pua means to glitter. Um, I love that there was light in the midst of this dark moment in these two women. And it tells us in verse 17 that they feared God. Remember that word feared can also be translated as reverenced or stood in awe of God, that, that God came first and they knew what God would want. And so they kept the the baby boys alive and the king of Egypt called and he was so mad and he was like, why are you doing this thing and not doing what I told you with these baby boys? And they said, oh, it's because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women because they're lively and they deliver before we can even get to them. So then we don't know if it's a boy or if it's a girl. And I love in verse 20 when it says, therefore God dwelt well, dealt well with the midwives. Um, that there just was this, this uh, relationship between God and these women who were coming to preserve life in that moment. And the reason why they did is because they revered God. They knew who he was. So that is the first um, message of deliverance that we learn in and, this chapter. And I like the way you just said that because it's going to be true of all of these women, the, all four that we go through. Um, that they partner with God in this deliverance. Mm -hmm. And it's like anybody called as a, as a deliverer, it would be just neat to remember, you know, for like, yeah. I, I love thinking that about, you know, even delivering a baby, you know, that you're just like, oh, you become a co-creator mm -hmm. with God. And in this story, each of these women become these co-deliverers, yeah. you know, so with good. God. And I forgot, this goes into two too. So it's not just chapter one that becomes the theme, but it's chapters one and two that become this theme of the story we're about to enter into. Okay, so next to the midwives in the journal, you might want to write something about their story if you want, or but for sure write the phrase, they revered God. Like that is something that we learned about those midwives. The next person is Yochebed. This is um, Moses's mom's name. Everyone and else says Jochebed. That's not, that's not, that's not right. It's not good. You have to, you have to have a thing. Have you ever seen Prince of Egypt? In case you didn't know what name he was saying, I'm just translating. Oh, yeah. In Prince you. of Egypt, it says, that girl says, you are born of my mother. <laughs> that's where I learned it. It's Prince of Egypt. You should watch Prince of Egypt for this, for the next lesson. It's funner. Um, so Exodus 2, you find her, you meet her and she just gets introduced to the beginning and find out that she uh, has this baby. And, um, just, it was a goodly child, which she was just so drawn to. It's like, there's something about this baby that there's a destiny about him. And, and of course, like any mother, she just is so endeared to him right away. And she hid him for three months. She kept him alive for three months and hid him from the soldiers because there was now this new commission at the end of chapter one. Okay. Anytime you see a boy, baby, just throw it in the river was if the midwives can't do it, we'll just, we'll just toss them all in the river. And it says in verse three, when she could no longer hide him, she made for him an ark of bulrushes and she daubed it with slime and with pitch. And she put the child therein and she laid him into the river. And one thing that's interesting about that idea of her creating this, this ark is that's, that word only shows up twice in 
the, the Hebrew Bible and the Old yeah. Testament. And one is with Noah's Ark. And the second one is right here. And even the description of it, that it was daubed with um, pitch and slime uh, around it to make it, um, just parallels these two stories. And you have this one story of Noah, where he was a co-deliverer with God for all of humanity. And then now here's this other story of Yohebed, Moses' mother, um, and a co-deliverer with God who delivers the house of Israel or the means for the house of, of Israel right here. And so it's just neat that you have these two parallel arc stories that are happening yep. right and next Noah to each other. And Noah has one and Moses will come out of one, which is just it's so interesting. Yeah. And she lays him into the river. We put for her word the word sacrifice. Um because uh, certainly it's not written in the text, but it would be absurd to not think that this wasn't an inspired move. You know, she hid him for three months and, and God certainly was pressing into that story and upon her and, and gave her this idea, maybe gave her an assurance. I, we don't know what happened mm -hmm. behind there, but the fact of the matter is, is you had a, a mom who put her baby into the river and... Uh, at three Without months knowing, old. Yeah. What's going to happen to him? He can't feed himself. He can't swim. Right. He can't. I mean, she, he is at the mercy. You think about like the brother of Jared and they commended themselves unto the Lord. That is totally what is happening there. She just sends him off. And it's one thing to commend yourself to the Lord. It's another thing to commend a helpless baby to yeah. the Lord to just say, I mean, I, that that act of submission, I, I, I think it's un, it's like almost unparalleled anywhere else, you know, mm -hmm. in the Old Testament where you're just like of, of somebody just saying, yeah. I'm, there's no other chance for this baby to live except you, right? Except God. Yeah. Like that's, that's the only yeah. chance. So she, that's, that's the second one. And so then they go and she lays it in the flags by the river's bank. And then you love now is going to come. So we've met the two midwives and the mom. Now we're going to meet the sister. Um, some people think the sister is Miriam. No one's sure if she was older or younger than Moses. On your paper, we wrote Miriam because we just like to think it might have been her. Oh, I forgot. We forgot to say what Yohebed's name means because it's oh. so good. Yes, say that. If you want to write this here, her name means Jehovah is glory. And isn't that just a perfect like description of what she actually believed? Believes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. So Back then to the sister. The sister stands far off because she wants to see what is going to happen to the baby. And then we get the next woman who's going to come, which is Pharaoh's daughter. And she comes down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens are walking by the riverside. And they see the ark among the flags. And, and she tells one of her maidens, go get that. What is that? Bring it over here. And when she opened it, she sees the baby. I'm so afraid of crocodiles but in my life. That I, like, I can't even like when she tells that maid to go get the the thing yes. out of the bull rushes. I'm like, you're, she's going to die. <laughs> like every time I'm like, safe. I think the next We need to count the maid too. We didn't even count the maid in the story. So then you have the maid and then she goes and she sees the baby and the baby's crying because by now he's so hungry. Who even knows how long he's been there? And, um, she said, this is one of the Hebrews children. So she knows right off the, um, bat what she sees and then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go call a nurse of the Hebrew woman that she could come and nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and she called the child's mother, which can you imagine 
that mom has never been so happy in her life. And she gets to go and be part of that growing up of that boy. And he becomes the son of the Pharaoh's daughter and she calls his name Moses, which is so interesting. In Egyptian, Moses would mean a son. In Greek, it means rescued. And in Hebrew, it means to draw out, which is so interesting because she drew him out, but he will draw out all of Israel. So you just love the thought of these names as we're going through and and what they mean to this story. Um, I love this, that um, as you look at the women in chapters one and two, it were, these were all women who worked to bring about God's purpose. Every one of them that whether they knew they were or not, every one of those women was working together to bring about God's purpose. And I love the idea of that. I love the idea of them just answering the call of the moment. I was with a friend this week um, talking and we were just talking about like, what about the moments when you feel unfulfilled or you wonder if you have a mission or if there's something you could be doing in your life and how you discover what that is. And we were talking about how so often we wait for a literal call to come. Like the bishop is going to call you to be a primary teacher, or he's going to call you to serve in the young women's. And what I love about these women is they were listening for a call just within their own roofs Mm -hmm. that they just were like, what could I do to help forward the work of the Lord right now in my arena? Right, right. Because like the midwives couldn't draw Moses out of the river and like the Pharaoh's daughter couldn't, you know, be the one to sacrifice the baby, you know, like they all played their part in In, their station. And within their own little circle of influence. And it just makes me think to myself, each of us can help bring about God's purpose in the part where we live, in the circle of influence, we have whatever it is. And are we every morning just listening for that call? Mm. Are, we, are we ready to answer and, and to be part of the great work that is happening? Um, you know, that as I was talking with this friend, I was like, I don't ever feel unfulfilled or dissatisfied with my role in God's plan because he keeps me really busy. He just keeps me busy. He always has a work for me to do. And I think if you are at a point where you're feeling unfulfilled or wondering where your work is, just ask, just pray. He'll open your eyes to the boy down the street or to the neighbor next door or you know, to somewhere where you could give a message of hope or I love bring glitter or light into a dark place. The world is so dark right now. Shouldn't we glitter? Yeah. Shouldn't we bring light into this place right now? And I think about um, when President Kimball said at the end times in those last days, we would be recognized because of of our happiness, because of our joy in the gospel, because we were distinct and different um, in happy and good ways and because we could articulate that. And I just think that let's be those women. Yeah. And, and living the gospel is really these four things, you know, it's to yeah. love God and to, and to sacrifice and to watch over and bring people out of hard situations. And I just love looking at each of these people and just thinking, one, I don't think they knew 
the place they had to, the part they played in the bigger picture. Mm. You know, yeah. and I think that's going to And they may ha- never have known. Right. And I think that'll happen with us. That we just like, I want to I do some great thing. I want to, but it's just like they did. They were involved in a really great thing. And God couldn't have brought out, the, well, he could have, but he brought out the deliverance through each of them collectively, mm-hmm. not just one of them. That's it's like so They good. all were essential to the deliverance story. Like we're just like, Moses is going to put the staff in the water and it's going to open up and he gets all the statues <laughs> and he gets to be the hero. And he is, he's great. We're going to talk about that. But as the fact is like that, there was a precursor to putting that staff into the water and all these people played a part in it. And I, and I just think we just have to, we just have to trust that God's going to take whatever my sacrifice, my watching over my glittering is, and he's going to like weave it into the Mm -hmm. great story of deliverance that he's doing right now. That's so good. And before we move on, let's just make sure we marry those things up. So the midwives revere God. That's what we learn. Jochebed. Jochebed. Sacrificed. Then Miriam or the, the sister, whoever it was, watched over. And then Pharaoh's daughter drew out. Those are the four things now we want to watch for as we go into uh, Moses's story right now. There's a tip in for this week. Oh, if yeah. you are doing the tip ins. Um, it just says, and she called his name Moses because she drew him out of the water. But I love um, that what you get to see here are these women who were all a part of the beginning of this story of deliverance. And just sometimes we dive into Exodus and we forget the women. So we thought if we gave you a little tip in right here, then you would be like, oh yeah, why did we put women right here? And then maybe it would remind you, oh, we just love in chapters one and two, the story of the women. And let's, let's put this, maybe something that you want to mark here that just is said about um, Pharaoh's daughter, but it's true of all of them is just that where is that line where she drew him out? She saw him. Um, she blah, 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 blah. 20? Oh, yeah. No, back up a little. Oh. Six. Exodus 2, 6. I just like that the moment she sees the baby, she had compassion on him. And I, I really like the idea of that compassion was the precursor to all of these mm-hmm. things. Like, That's so good. That it's, the, it's kind of the in, initial, like, I don't know, the spark yeah. that starts all of them. It's like, oh, I, I, which is a gift from God to have yeah. compassion. It's cool. And then the story is going to begin. The The big deliverance story is going to begin at the very end of Exodus 2. Um, I love these verses so much. And there's, there's also an underlying message we want to be watching for right here at the beginning. It says this in verse 23, and it came to pass in process of time, which that becomes a really important part of this Exodus story, those words in process of time. Sometimes deliverance doesn't come overnight. Sometimes it doesn't happen when you are barely praying for it. You know those moms were praying for deliverance when that baby was three months old. And it's going to be in process of time um, that this deliverance is going to start to happen. And that is true in our own stories as well. And I and I just think it might be important to, to like think like this, this phrase that like goes through my head a lot of times when I read this story of really it won't be 80, it's not going to be 80 years. It'll be 80 years yeah. before they get to leave Egypt and they're praying and begging for it right now. And they're not seeing anything. Mm-hmm. They're not seeing anything, but the baby's already in the basket. Yeah. Like the deliverance story has, has already begun. begun. And yeah. I think it would be so important when we don't see I don't see God working to just remind ourselves the baby's in the basket. Like he is already working it 
out. Yeah, it's so know? good. And it, and it says this, that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. And I just, I want you to think about this because it is so interesting. At the very end of Genesis, in Genesis 46, there is this line that happens there. Remember, this is in the, at the end of the happy ending. This is when the whole family came, all the boys came, and Joseph was like, remember, here I am. Am I not where God needed me to be? And I've been able to deliver our whole family. And um, in 46, God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. And anytime you see a name repeated twice, you know something really important is about to happen. Sometimes he'll just say a name once. If he says it twice, he's like, this is like urgent for you. And he said, here, I, here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Like this is who I am. And then he says, fear not to go down into Egypt for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt and I will also surely bring thee up again. And I think that is so important because in the middle of the happy ending story, there is this moment when the Lord says to Jacob, and it's just this moment of condescension. It's this moment of, I will not leave you until I've done everything Mm -hmm. I promised you. Mm -hmm. It's this moment when he was like, I will go down with you to Egypt, to that hard place, to that dark place, to that place where you need rescue, I will go down with you into that place. And then I love when he says, I will also surely bring you up again. And it hints so much of the purpose of a redeemer, of a deliverer. Um, I like to say all the time that Jesus will meet us where we are, as we are, you know, right in that place. He will come down into our story, but he doesn't intend to leave us there. He's going to lift us up to where he is, as he is. That's the story of the children of Israel. That's my story. That's your story. And it's the story that is getting painted right here with Jacob, where he's like, I will go down. I will meet you where you are, as you are in that really hard place in Egypt, in bondage. I will come into that place and I will bring you out of that place. That's what I'm going to do. I will lift you up. I will take you out of there. And this is going to be the beginning of that turn of events. And it starts in the middle of a wilderness. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's cool. As you were saying, I was just thinking about the fact that Moses was this prince of Egypt, but God brought him down to be one of the Mm. Hebrew slaves and he will deliver them from among them, not Above them. Not from above them. And there's a series of events that leads Moses to leave that station of Egypt. He And it starts with compassion. Remember, he mm-hmm. sees something, an altercation happening. He has compassion and he ends up killing, per, accidentally, per, we don't know, this Egyptian worker. And the Hebrew people actually tattle on him. <laughs> and you're kind of like, come on, I was defending you. And he has to leave Egypt. 
And so he goes out into the wilderness. Um, as a 40-year-old, he leaves this old life and he, and he comes across this new family. Um, the Midianites is what they're, what they're called. And um, Jethro is father-in-law and he marries a woman named uh, Zipporah. And now he begins a life as a, as a sheep herdsman, as a shepherd, mm-hmm. you know, very different from where he was. And he's just out living his best life. And you love that Jethro just loves him right off the bat. And it's because the shepherds came and Moses sees him and they're just working and Moses is just sitting there. And then he jumps up and, and the, um, draw, draws water, helps them water their whole flock does, just jumps in and is like, it's almost as if he's like, I was so lonely, right? I'm just going <laughs> to join these guys and talk to these guys for a minute. And then they leave and they go to Jethro and, and tell him and, um, and said unto his daughters. And then they were like, well, where is he? Why did you leave him there? Go get him and bring him to where we are. And you just love that Moses was just a good boy. He just was like, how can I help yeah. in this situation? And, and then he didn't, expect anything from it. He just stayed where he was lonely. And they were like, go get him and bring him back here. Um, and so now he becomes a shepherd. Yeah. That's what he is. And so there he is just doing his laundry one day, you know, just mm-hmm. his regular, you know, chores. Of really? He just the... led the flock to the backside well, you know, of the mountain. That some people do laundry <laughs> and some people lead sheep, you know, okay. it's just as, what I mean is just like, it was on an honor on a Wednesday, yeah. you know, in this was afternoon. just a regular day and he's out leading the flock, which actually when I read this this morning, I was thinking, oh, that's so interesting that God made him a shepherd first before he became a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm going to let you practice on sheep first, <laughs> and then I'm going to give you people, you know? And so he's kind of teaching him to be a leader, yeah. to be a shepherd. And he's leading these sheep just up the mountain like he always does. And in verse two, um, an angel of the Lord appeared and you find out later it is the Lord himself. In yeah, a it flame just says of right fire. in the footnote, if you are wondering, that's, it's the presence of the Lord that comes. Yeah. In the JST, they're the presence of the Lord in this flame of fire in this bush. And I get, uh, bushes probably burned all the time, you know, out in the hot desert, but this one wasn't being consumed. Like there was something about it that was different. And Moses knew right away, like, hold on a second. There's something about this. And we love these two lines. We wrote them in the journal there that it says that um, he turned aside. Uh, this is in verse four. Three first. Uh, verse three. I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why is that bush not burnt? There was something happening that he was like, hold on. This is something different. I want to look into this a, a little bit more. And when he does that, when he turns aside to see, takes that moment to consider what's happening, God calls him from out of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses, there it is. We were looking for that, that repeating the name Mm -hmm. twice, that tenderness of that Moses, Moses. And he says, yeah. This is important. This is urgent. Uh, And then he says in verse five, um, put your shoes from off your feet for the place where thou standest is holy ground. And this was uh, just a, um, a custom of the day probably, but just this whole idea of um, taking off your shoes as a, as a way of showing respect for a place that you are entering into. It was like a recognition that I'm, I'm coming now into a, into a holy place. And I also like too, particularly in this story, that what is in the wilderness? Like who's ever been into a desert place? Um, we live right by one. So we, we go into those type of places all the time. And there's scorpions out there. There's like 
bugs out there. The rocks are super sharp. The sand is hot. It is so hot. People do not take off their shoes in desert places. You just don't. It's not safe to take your shoes off. And I love that one of the things that is happening in this moment is Moses is going to have to become vulnerable in this mm. relationship with the Lord. He's he's like he's going to have to put his trust in the Lord that like is this a good idea to take my shoes off? Is this a good idea to enter into this relationship? And I think we all have those vulnerable moments when we're like okay, putting my life in your hands could hurt a little bit and it might make it might be hard to walk and you know just this entering in it wasn't easy taking off those shoes it was not easy that there's a, there's a little bit about being vulnerable and there is a lot about honoring the sacred that is taking place in this moment you know and andy's come to him in a a flame of fire. Yeah. You know, you're kind of like, should, I wish you would have come in as a ladybug or something like gentle, <laughs> yes. you know? And so there is something about like, oh, I'm entering into the presence of someone very, very powerful and very like awe-inspiring. Yeah. And it draws that out of mm. out of Moses. And, and he comes in. And I love the idea of Are you going to tell where, our favorite part right here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That he just says that the ground that you are standing on is holy ground. And it was just a mountain, but the reason it was holy is because God was there. And it's interesting that um, it, that it's a bush, a, just this bush. It's mm-hmm. a, like there's nothing spectacular about a bush. Like come in an evergreen tree or like a redwood yeah. or something. But it is just this simple bush. Um, and I love in the um, Torah oh, I was, was that reading. Was? And there's this yeah. uh, a midrash is where just people. Um, they'll gather these quotes that just rabbis have sat around and talked about it. And there was one rabbi who was saying, uh, you ask me, why did he come in a bush? And, and I would tell you the reason for the bush, except for then you would be, well, then why didn't he come in the tree? And if he had come in a tree, then you would be like, well, why did he come in the tree? And if I said, well, he came in this, your next question would be, well, why did he come in that? And he said, the important thing you need to realize from him coming in a bush is that there is no place that is devoid of God's presence. And I just love the thought of that, that he, he can show up anywhere mm-hmm. in anyone's story. At You know, you don't have to be someone remarkable. You don't have to be someplace amazing for God to enter your story. Yeah, you don't need stained glass windows, you know, yeah. or great architecture for a place to be holy. Yeah, um, It's holy because God was there, which means any place can be holy. Yep. Like a car ride can be holy. A living room can be holy. Mm-hmm. A closet can be holy. Yep. Right? These ordinary places. Yep. There's and, no and place to void. And you love that you have, we know there are set apart or dedicated holy places, but you love Which also, you'll see with that mountain later. The yes, same mountain yeah. becomes one. Yeah, and yeah. you love that we have those. We have places that are set apart. But you love also that God can enter your story just where you are also. We we can choose to enter his story the same as he can choose to enter into our story. And I love the thought of that kind of a relationship. We love this quote here by Elizabeth Browning. It's written in the journal. It says, earth is crammed with heaven in every common bush, a fire with God. And only he who sees 
takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. <laughs> and it is such a darling like little quote to just just reemphasize that fact that like, oh, maybe take time to turn aside and see where God is moving and working. And when you see him there, maybe take off your shoes. Yeah, acknowledge. And, yeah, and acknowledge his his presence and acknowledge that this is a this is a holy experience in a in a holy place. And that can be done in any by just expressing mm-hmm. gratitude or just Sometimes, recognizing it. Sometimes we call those moments tender mercies. And I love when Elder Irene was like, are you taking time to write those down? Yeah, you yeah. know, to just capture those moments in your life. Then you get into the, just the heart of this conversation mm. where God says to him, he introduces himself. I'm the God oh, of life. Oh, and before you do that, can we just say this one part and yeah. bring it full circle? Yeah. Um, oh, it's actually right after. But are you going here right now? No, I was just starting in six where he's just starting. And then that. are you going to go yeah, there? Yeah. Okay. Then before you go there, I just want to say this one part that is so good because the Lord says out loud what we read happened in chapter two when he says, I've surely seen the affliction of this my people seven, seven, which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows. And then I love in verse eight when he says this, and I am come down to deliver them. So again, we're going to see that condescension again, right there that he's like, this is, this is why I'm here, Moses, that I'm going to meet you in this story. I'm going to come down to where you are as you are. And I am here to bring you out, to lift you up, to, to get you to a different place. And by the time you all get to that other place, you're going to know me a lot better (laughs) than you know me now. And and Moses wants to know who this guy is. So then <laughs> so then the Lord drops the bomb on him and says, well, it's actually you, right? You are going to be the answer to their prayer, to their decade-long prayers, to their century-long prayers, however long this was. You're going to be the answer. In verse 10, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring forth my children of Israel out of Egypt. And immediately Moses is like, in verse 11, who am I? I, I, I think you have the wrong person. I, there's, do you know that that will bankrupt all of Egypt if I take away their entire workforce? There's no way that is, is going to happen. And I, I am not the right person to do this. And in verse 12, the Lord answers and he says, almost essentially, I know, I am going to be with you, right? And and I, I love that he uh, is going to introduce um, himself here to Moses, and he uses names to introduce himself, which was common in ancient times because names weren't just titles or labels. They were like a description of character, and they were an explanation of, of identity. Which we're noticing, right? Because right. remember, we saw it with the midwives, and we saw it again with uh, Moses's mom, and you see it with Moses that for some reason, Old Testament names are really indicative of the character or outcome of that person's experience. Yeah. So when Moses like says, like, I- I'm the wrong guy and nobody's even going to believe me um, when I when I go down there. And then he asks a question that would make sense if you know this about names at the end of 13. He says, they're going to ask me, who? what's his name? The God that sent you. What should I say to them? And um, you love also the part that we were talking about that just knowing someone's name all of a sudden makes them more approachable. Yeah. And so you love that Moses is like, okay, if we're going to be working together. I I need to know, like, who are you? Right. You know, and how would I introduce you? Because no one's going to think I could do this by myself. So I'm going to need to have, like, 
backing. Yeah, and all <laughs> I know so far about him is you're obviously very, very powerful. Yes. But you're also very, very intimate because you knew my name and we're having a one-on-one -on -one and you knew where I was. You know what's happening with the children of Israel. You're a God who answers prayers and cares and knows. And then he says, his answer is, who are you? And God said to Moses in verse 14, I am that I am. Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And let's just spend a little bit of time here unpacking mm, that, that verse. Name. And there's so much to unpack. And it's there so are... fun too, because when, when you say to people, choose your favorite name of Jesus or Jehovah, whoever says, I am. Oh, wait, me. I know, but remember? only oh. because you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think... <laughs> I was like, it, wait, remember at Christmas? Right. I was like, wait, that's my... Um, if you don't know, it's just generally not going to be the name you pick. Like, if you're teaching young women this week and you're like, mm -hmm. say your favorite name of Jesus, no one is going to be like, oh, I am. That's my favorite name. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it feels really big. It feels really overwhelming unless you start looking into what... What, why is, of all the names he could have chosen, why is he like, oh, I think I'll use this I one. Am. Why didn't he use like faithful witness or yeah. why didn't he use captain of the host or why didn't he use, you know, there's a million things that Moses would have been like, oh, okay, Perfect. that's a good one. Yeah. But why did he choose I am that I am? The God of angel armies. You're like, yes. oh, I'm so happy you're here, <laughs> you know, and he uses this name I am now. This is something that will be really interesting throughout the rest of the Old Testament study. Um, there is a lot of linguistic debate on this, but some people settle on the fact that that's where the name Jehovah comes from, is that I am can be translated into just four Hebrew letters that sound like Yahweh or in English, Jehovah. And so every time that name would show up, that's the way the children of Israel will refer to him as Yahweh. But because they consider his name so sacred, they wouldn't write it out. And instead, they would give, they gave him the word Adonai, a nickname, the Lord. So anytime you see capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, most of the time you see capital L-O-R-D, that is the sacred name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. But the translators also like were considerate of that custom and tradition and of the, the Jews. And keeping and, it sacred. And keeping it sacred. And they just wrote capital L-O-R-D. So every time you see that, that this is the name that you are reading that gets introduced right here. And there's that phrase where he says, I am that I am. And because of the Hebrew of it, with like the past and present and future tenses, there are several ways um, to translate that name. And we'll each share one. Um, one way that you can translate that is, I am who I will always be. And uh, who that's a, just a, a way of saying who I was in the past is who you can expect me to be in the future. I am who I will always be. In the next verse, he's going to tell them, he's going to tell them, remind everybody, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God who promises. I'm the God who provides. I'm the God who prevails. That's, uh, and who I was then is who I'm going to be. Who I This is what you can anticipate in your present and in your future. Who I always have been is who I'm going to be now and who I'm going to be in the future. So that's one way that you could translate that phrase. That is, I mean, that name that just has so much 
meaning to it and so much expectation and so much anticipation also. Well, and gives you so much trust. You're just like, okay, I saw what you did here. I saw what you did here. Um, The other way that that name can be translated, which we love, is I will be what tomorrow demands. Do you love the thought (laughs) of that? Like, I, this is, I am great enough. I am powerful enough. I am, I have enough fullness in my arsenal that I can be whatever tomorrow demands. That's the God I am. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that's the God I want. I I just want the God who will be whatever tomorrow demands. And then now you love I am that I am. Yeah, yeah. And, And it's just interesting as you look forward because we know their story. Just like if you have an ocean, if tomorrow's demand is an ocean, I open them. If tomorrow's demand is hunger, I, I, I rain bread. Yes. If tomorrow's demand is serpents, I'm a healer. If tomorrow, yeah. whatever tomorrow's yeah. demand is. I, I can answer that. Which means you don't have to live in fear today. Because fear always exists in the future, mm-hmm. right? Fear is never, it's always just like, oh, what's going to happen? Yeah. What's going to go, you know, what's the worst outcome? And he says like, I, I'm in the future and whatever it demands. Yeah, you know, I will be there. I will be there for you. Uh, um, I was just when I was reading this morning. It was interesting when he asked that question in verse eleven, "Who am I?" and and just comparing that with where the Lord says, "I am," and just that whole idea of sometimes maybe we should not focus so much on who am I, but we should remember I am. Like take it off of us mm. and put it on to you know who He is. Yeah, that's so good. And and don't you like this? I like. <laughs> that his name is a fill in the blank, you know? Yes. Like it's an almost an incomplete sentence. Yeah. Who are you? And he's like, I am whatever dot, you dot, need. Dot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Whatever, whatever it is you that you need me to be. Yeah. That's so good. And I love that. Um, he says, you go get everyone together and you tell them that the Lord God of your fathers, I'm in verse 16, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob appeared unto me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is happening to you in Egypt. And I will bring you up out. He says to them, and I'm going to take you to this place flowing with milk and, and honey. And I love, um, when he says this, the king of Egypt will not let you go, but I will stretch out my hand and I, with all my wonders, which I will do. And after that, he will let you go and I will give this people favor. And then I love this in the end of 21 and you shall not go empty. Mm. I just think that is such a beautiful promise to the Lord's people, to the children of Israel that you're, when you go you won't go empty that he, he is the God of fullness. That Mm -hmm. is who he is. Mm. And we can anticipate that everywhere in our life. So we get into four and then you love what happens here because Moses, like he, he does the, watches the fire burn. He takes off his shoes. He asks for his name. He listens to God say, this is the plan, Moses. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to deliver you all the people, everyone. Like he listens to that whole speech. (laughs) And you love that Moses' first thing he says is, they will not believe me. <laughs> like, he's like, this is a good idea, but let me just say this. They will not believe thee. And we're going to go through these three questioning moments of Moses' right now as we're ending. Um, that first one, we saw the same thing that happened with the midwives, that he revered God. In this second one, we're going to watch this moment of 
um, sacrifice. Like Moses is going to have to sacrifice. He's going to have to put the baby in the basket. He's going to have to do the thing that he's like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And the first thing he says that you maybe want to write in your box right here is they will not believe me in Moses 3.1. They're going to say 4.1. They're going to say the Lord did not appear to you. And so he's like, then what am I going to do about that? And the Lord's like, oh, do you see that staff in your hand? Uh, Put it on the ground. And he put it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses (laughs) ran away. (laughs) I love it. He's like, oh my heck, who is this? And what is he doing to my stick? You know, he's like, I don't even know what happened. And the Lord's like, come back, put forth your hand and he's going to take it by the tail and it becomes a rod again. And, and. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, which is so freaky, right? <laughs> Obviously, he's afraid of snakes, okay? Yeah. Because he ran away from me. He wasn't like, cool, you know, like a five-year-old boy. He was just like, ah. And then when the Lord's like, grab it, you know? And it's like, no. Well, I don't, and you're never I don't wanna... supposed to grab things by their tail <laughs> no, either. Wanna... Yeah. I'm not a snake person, but I'm pretty sure you're supposed to go for the neck. Yeah. <laughs> is that not true? It's too close to the teeth. I feel like I would no, just like swing it out like you, this. Yeah, I, I think I'm right. You're supposed to go... It can't bend if you I'm get taking a shovel to the neck is my approach. Everyone's going to tell us now. Okay, you don't have to tell us. We'll look it up on YouTube. <laughs> but I just think it's interesting that it's like this thing that he fears, and then but it's okay because he's going to go before Pharaoh. Yeah. And it's going to be like, oh, I'm so scared. And yes. like, I promise you, it's going to feel like grabbing a snake yeah. <laughs> because but, that's scary. But, but I'm going to turn gonna it into okay. it. Yeah, yeah. And I love that the message she tells to him, the first message. So the first question is, they're not going to believe me. And the first answer is, what do you do with a staff? What will Moses do with that staff? He will lead. Your, your job is going to be to lead. It, you're going to have to sacrifice your fear in order to be able to lead. Mm. So the second thing um, he says to him, um, oh, wait, there's a second part of that that's important because remember he takes his hand. And he Daddy. makes it become like a leper, which also you would be like, well, now I can never go home again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like now yeah. I can't even go back to the people. And then the next thing you know, it's made clean again. And, and that's the second job Moses is going to have is to restore. So through sacrifice, he will lead. Through sacrifice, he will restore. And... Then um, there's going to be those two signs, which remember, he's going to do oh. both of these. I'm just throwing my Seriously, like, I lost six years of my life. <laughs> scared you? Yes. Did you think it was a snake? <laughs> so it is um, grabbed by the tail. And then um, he says to him, if, the, if those two things don't aren't going to work, then he says, um, "You, the water, which comes out of the water, will be blood on the dry land. And there's this hint of deliverance. So Moses' job is going to be to lead, to rescue, and then to deliver. Restore is the word you use. I mean, restore. Lead, restore, and then deliver. That's his job, and it is going to require a lot of sacrifice. And meanwhile, okay, first of all, the Lord showed up burning in a bush. Then he turned the rod into a snake. Then Moses picked up the snake, and it went back to the rod. And now he's going to turn water into blood. Like he's, he's showing Moses all these powerful things that are happening. And I'd love that the second thing Moses says, well, first of all, he's like, the people won't listen to me. Second of all, he's like, well, here's the problem. I'm not a good speaker. 
Yeah. I'm not eloquent enough. No one is going to listen to what I say or what I'm going to do. And, um, and I love when the Lord's answer to that is because Moses says, I'm of a slow speech and of a slow tongue. We don't know what that means exactly. There's a, a lot of people have said how that happened or, or what the cause of that was. All we have is what's right here. But I love the Lord's answer to him because I think all of us, there are sometimes when we're like, this is why I won't be good at this, Lord. Mm. This is why I won't. And I love that the Lord says to him, um, who made your mouth? Don't yeah. you love that? Yeah. <laughs> that is what he wants to say. Who, who's in charge of people who are dumb or deaf or blind? Is that not my job? Like, isn't, isn't that what I'm in charge of? So you go and I will be with your mouth. Like, yeah. look what I did to your rod. Look what I did to the water. Do you not think I can do something, um, you know, with your words, with your eloquence? Like, just believe in me mm. and what I have the capability to do. And again, it is such a sacrifice. It's, Moses is like giving every reason why this is not going to work out, right? I, why, this Been is going to be painful right? <laughs> for me. I don't want to do any of this. This could go really bad right. uh, for me. And then you love that. Uh, and the Lord is so patient. He's like, if this, if this, he, he's just walking him through it. And then he says this in verse 13. And he said, oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee by the hand of him who thou wilt send. Or in other words, that's really hard to understand. Listen, send anyone but me. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to go. The, like I thought it all through. I've seen all the things. No, I'm not your guy. You got to choose someone else. And then in verse 14 is the first time when the Lord gets a little bit impatient. And he's like, listen, Moses, you can do this. Go get Aaron. He can support you. He can be your support in this. And you're the guy. Like this is going to be... Um, this is your job. This is what you're going to do. Go back and do it. And I love that all along the way, you see Moses and, and his first inclination is to refuse to doubt and to question um, that that's what happens. Mm. And one of the things that I love when we watch this is that's who we are. That's We would respond probably the same way. And, and probably every prophet has felt that way. That, uh, not even prophets, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and apostles and... I mean us, yeah. Oh, and all of us. And this is one thing I love, though, as you think about a prophet in this moment, as we get to actually go inside the heart of a prophet, mm -hmm. and we get to see that a prophet can have faith and doubt and anxiety and feel like they're not worthy for what they're up against. And one of the things I was reading this week talked about in Moses, God shows us that this is not just a cardboard stand-up that just does exactly what God wants him to do. But we get to see um, that he's not someone who just answers without question. Okay, I did it. Now what do you want me to do? Okay, I did that. Now what do you want me to do? That's not the heart of a prophet. That's that's We just don't often get to see the turmoil of watching that faith and that doubt play back and forth and the anxiety and the unworthiness and that, um, that questioning and that trying to resolve things and working things through with the Lord. And I love that in Moses, we get to see that vulnerable side. Yeah. We get to be invited into that intimate moment that we don't often get to see in a leader. 
um, that there are those moments of just like, am I, can I do this? Yeah. Am I capable of something like this? And that heavy reliance on the Lord that I think is a really beautiful part of this story, but it also gives me a lot of empathy and love and compassion when I think of like President Nelson mm -hmm. or someone else who the Lord has tasked with an urgent responsibility who also is like, how am I going to do this? And what if I don't do it right? And what if I don't say it right? And what if I'm trying to lead right now a group of people who if I fall, they might not let me get back up. That I, I'm trying to speak to a group of people who doesn't allow for repentance. They don't allow for grace. They don't allow for me to try and, and work through what the Lord is telling me to do. Like, how would Moses have done in our generation? You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know how he would have made it through this world that we live in right now with all of our social media and people trying to tell people what they're doing right or wrong. And I can imagine this is a time when as a prophet or apostle, you're like, um, they won't listen to me. And also, I'm not very good with words. Mm. What if my words are not culturally acceptable? What if I say it wrong? What, right, right. what, what do you want me to do? Right. And that importance of just realizing we're not working with a cardboard stand-up. We're working with a, a man who's probably doing his best to try and get things right. Yeah, a man has likes and dislikes and passions and worries and, and all of those things. And I think sometimes we lead out when we talk about like... Um, when we talk about leadership, we always lead out with their strength, which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, he's great because he's so smart and he went to this school and he's got this skill set. And certainly God's going to use people's experiences and skill sets, you know, to further the work of the kingdom, to help them be leaders and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's trained them and brought them up. But I, I don't think it's like the skills that make like a prophet powerful. Mm -hmm. I actually think it's their trust in God. And, and their humility right. and their willingness to be vulnerable. And weakness precedes that. So it's interesting. It's like, oh, their perceived weakness is actually their strength because mm. it led them to the only source of strength that they know. And so I just think it's really, really powerful when we see this. And, and you'll keep, you keep watching it happen. Mm -hmm. As we look at these, um, let's do this middle one real quick. And this last one's really powerful because it's that, mm -hmm. that same lesson that he learned at the bush again. But yep. he knows... He learns really quickly, I'm going to have to watch over a, a really difficult situation because <laughs> he gets into Egypt and initially everybody believes him when he gets there. And he's like, all right, the elders do. And he's like, all right, okay, this is going to be great. And at the beginning of five, he goes into Pharaoh and he says, the Lord God says, let my people go in verse one. And Pharaoh answers <laughs> back and he says, who's the Lord? You know, this is Egypt. This is a place of, of many, many gods. And he comes in and he says, Jehovah says, let my people go. And he's like, I've heard of Ra and I've heard of Tim Duke, okay, or whatever. I have never heard of Jehovah before. And he says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let them go? He says, I know not the Lord, so I'm not going to let Israel go. And I would, I put no blame on Pharaoh for that question. I actually think it's a really responsible question to ask. You know, if you're like, the Lord says, let my people go. And it's just like, well, who's the Lord? Because why would I listen to or trust or follow somebody that I don't know. And Moses is in that learning process right now. Moses is learning to, mm -hmm. to trust him. And God's going to do the same thing with Pharaoh. But initially here, he's like, 
I don't know what he's like. And so he's like, oh man. And he performs the miracles, you know, that he's supposed to do. And it doesn't work, you know. And so then at the end of the chapter, he goes back and he's like, You have to read it. You have to read it. Oh, It's the best part. It's in 22 and 23. And Moses returned unto the Lord and he said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil and treated this people? Why is it thou sent me? I love that. He's like... Why did you send me? Yeah, because like, I went and I did all the tricks <laughs> as you told me to do. And like, and then he says, for since, since the day I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Just so you know, just so you know. <laughs> you didn't do it. You didn't do it. And isn't that so like indicative of humanity? Yeah. Where it's just like, it's been a week and it's like, you didn't do it. Yeah. You hate me. And you I forgot love, about me. And I love that it's not just a little. He's like, uh, you did not deliver this people at all. In case you haven't noticed. <laughs> it's so and awesome. so he just has this, again, he's coming back to like, wait, I, okay, all right. I believe you. Everyone believe me. I've got some, you know, and it's just I like, did my three things. I did everything I was supposed to do. It got worse. It got worse. Yeah. You know, and it's just like. Sometimes this happens, you know, we're just like, man, there's a lot of confidence when you're standing in front of the burning bush. But what about when it goes out and you're left and you're like, it's not working. And he asked that question. We wrote this question. His question again was like, how how am I supposed to do this? And why did you pick me? And chapter six is is so good. Brilliant answer to that question. And there's a couple things that you might want to do right here in chapter six. I went through from one through Eight, and I circled every I. I it's just circled right in my thing. The, because, the letter I, right? Yeah, the word, yeah, yeah. The letter I, um, because this is going to be again the Lord's promise to covenant Israel. If you want to find a really good promise to covenant Israel chapter, chapter six is such a good one, and this is what He's going to do. If, if you just look at the eyes, He's like, now you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. And God spake unto Moses in verse two and said, I am the Lord. I am who I am, right? That's that's what he tells him. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name, Jehovah, I wasn't known to them yet. But I'm that same God. I have established my covenant with them. In five, I have heard the groaning of Israel. I have remembered my covenant in six. I am the Lord. I am who I said I would be. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you or deliver you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God. And you will know that I am the Lord, your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. And you just love these words that were so powerful in that story, but are powerful in ours, that I will establish, I will hear, I will remember, I will free, I will deliver, I will redeem, I will take, I will bring. That's what the Redeemer does. That is the job of the Redeemer. And we have just written at the bottom of the journal right down here um, what redeem means. And this is actually the first time if if mm. my looking is right, you know, and reading that, that this word, this particular word that we're so endeared to, this title, that it shows up um, the first time. And it has such a neat definition in Hebrew and one that you kind of want to just hold on to. Um, redeem means to deliver in any wise. 
it will be used later in the Old Testament in a different way um, to mean redeem by any means. But I love that thought of in any wise or by any means. And let's just think what that could mean because delivery is going to come not the way Moses envisions, right? That's It's going to come by the Red Sea actually opening up and them walking through on dry ground. Who in this moment thinks that might happen? Right. You right. know, the, like the, no one's like, I think we should start praying for the Red Sea to open. No yeah. one's <laughs> thinking that in their mind. And think about this. Same thing within Martin's uh, handcart journey. In the middle of that night when it seems like there will be no rescue, no deliverance, no redemption, when did God plan for that cove yeah. to be there in that place, just in that moment that they would need rescue in any wise? Yeah. You know, how many eons of years before Martin even started making his handcarts did God create the cove that would be their deliverance? And again, who thought deliverance was going to come from a man riding a donkey? And across that you start realizing that this idea of redeem, this redeemer, this deliverer who will work in any wise, right? By any means, we have no idea what deliverance is going to look like in our story, but he does. Mm -hmm. He already knows. He knew when Moses went in the basket, okay, here comes this story now. And he already knows the deliverance is going to come. And whatever your story is right now, whatever deliverance you are praying for right now, and it's the same lesson we taught last week. If you're in the pit or the palace or the prison or in the middle of Egypt, wherever you are, God will deliver you in any wise, probably in a way that you can't even imagine or, or the thought that that thing would be real is too good for what you have in mind. But that is who our God is. And who he'll always be. And who he'll always be. Right? And, and just that thought of, I, um, I will be what tomorrow demands. Yeah. That thing you are so afraid of, I already know what to do yeah. with that thing. And just that thought makes me want to be like, should I just walk around barefoot for the rest of my life? You know, yeah, that yeah. to have that kind of God in my story just makes me want to just take off my shoes. It just, it wants me to think I'm so grateful for a God like that. Yeah. And I think if, if I were teaching a, a lesson, like I know, like with my own kids, or if I were teaching a youth Sunday school or something like that, I think that might be of this lesson, the part I would mm. focus on if you're like, man, which, which part would I pick? I think I would start with Pharaoh's, I mean, with, yeah, with Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And then go back to chapter three and, and watch him introduce himself to mm. Moses and say, this is who I am. And then come back to chapter six and to see that list, you know, that's yeah. a list of this is who I am. This is what I do. And then to, you know, to talk together and say, yeah, and where, where have you seen that? Where have you seen yeah. him be that? Well, and, and who is your Pharaoh? And how do you need God to show up? Because he is dot, dot, dot. Right. I am dot, dot, dot. Yeah, this is who I, and, and it would be awesome for people to say like, oh, the God I need right now 
the God that tomorrow demands is. And just to see, is that who he is? And then to, and to watch for him, that could mm. be a great invitation for people and could be really, really powerful to teach us like Moses's journey, how to trust him, how to like put our lives, mm. in, put our baskets into the river, put our lives into his hands. Let's first learn who he is, who he is you know, and then, and you know, yeah. then from there we go. So good. Such a okay, good lesson. Okay, we love this one. Next time is just as rad and good. So <laughs> see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.